Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. This is MPB News. Hi, this is Karen Brown. Thanks for checking out the Mississippi Edition podcast. If you like what you hear, click subscribe, hit like, or leave us a comment if your app has that feature. Then find other MPB podcasts by searching MPB Think Radio on your favorite podcasting platform. Thanks. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Wednesday, March 4th. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, the Department of Education's Office of Safe and Healthy Schools shares its readiness plan for the coronavirus. And we hear from Congressman Michael Guest on how the federal government is responding to the growing number of cases nationwide. Then, after a Southern Remedy Health Minute, a deadline day legislative roundup. That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. The Mississippi Department of Education has released guidance for school districts about COVID-19. That's the disease caused by the novel coronavirus. Scott Clements is the director of the Office of Healthy Schools at MDE. He tells MPB's Kobe Vance the department has standing protocol for health epidemics and is tailoring that plan for the coronavirus. For a number of years, the Office of Healthy Schools and the MDE has provided guidance to schools on planning for different viruses and uh, potential pandemics that have come about. Um, Recently, we have updated that information, of course, for coronavirus in particular. Um, We have been working closely uh, in contact with the Mississippi State Department of Health. Uh, In particular, the state epidemiologist has been uh, exceedingly helpful for us uh, and gracious in his time. We utilize uh, CDC guidance. We have Like I say, we've updated our guidance. We have pushed that guidance out to schools um, at really all levels, administrators, uh, from the superintendents to the teachers, and really everyone in between. We want to make sure everyone was informed. And then uh, have parents been asking any questions, like parents, students, and teachers? And, like, what are you all telling them uh, if they do come to you all with questions? We have not received uh, questions directly from parents. I feel like those probably would go to their local schools. But one of the things we made sure to do was include the CDC guidance for parents uh, so that schools would have that and have have that ready to hand out to parents so that they would know how to react to uh, potential flu, including potential symptoms, what to do if you think you have the flu, and one of the biggest pieces there, being sure that you stay at home and keep those people separate uh, and out of school during that time. Oh, yeah, I did want to ask, um, you know, I know y'all are going off standard procedures, but is there anything specifically for this virus that y'all changed? Um, well, the, probably the biggest piece there is CDC has issued some specific guidance for coronavirus, uh, and we made sure to get that out to schools, and there are two pieces of that. Uh, one is for the schools themselves, uh, 
how to plan for it, how to react if you think you there is a case of coronavirus in your school. And the other part there is what for businesses to do, and that would affect central offices um, and would be applicable in some cases to parents as well, that uh, guidance that they may use. So we have put that uh, CDC-specific coronavirus guidance at the very top of what we're doing right now, and then we have all the other pieces behind it. The other pieces not only include the CDC videos and printables, but we have a number of uh, lesson plans that are grade, uh, have grade ranges in there on our Health in Action website. We've provided teachers with links to those so they can incorporate those during the, during the course of the day uh, and have more resources for, training, for teaching their kids. And then also um, I noticed in y'all's release, y'all talked about uh, the possibility if the virus does get uh, – bad enough and if the CDC and everything uh, requires it, y'all might look at to uh, look into schools shutting down for a while. What would it take to get to that point? Uh, that really is a decision that the Mississippi State Department of Health will be the lead on. Uh, they can provide guidance to the school and uh, what we're hearing from them is really it would be a case-by-case, school-by-school basis uh, depending on the number of absences uh, the severity, et cetera. So that will be a really, as if we get to that point, and we hope we don't, uh, the State Department of Health and the state epidemiologists will be key in making those decisions. And another concern I've heard is uh, like field trips. Are students still going to be going on those around the country or, in, or abroad? Um, we point folks to the CDC guidance, uh, which uh, does list specific spots that they recommend that you not travel to. Um, most of those are out of the country right now. I've not seen anything as of today that would uh, where CDC is recommending you not travel within the U.S., uh, but we do hope that parents and schools will be cognizant of that as spring break comes up. And, you know, particularly if you're looking at overseas travel, make sure that you're not going somewhere the CDC is recommending that you not go. Scott Clemens is the director of the Office of Healthy Schools at the Mississippi Department of Education. Coming up, we hear from Congressman Michael Guest on how the federal government is responding to the growing number of cases nationwide. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. When your kids are too young to drive, they still have to get places, lots of places. So you spend lots of time in your car or SUV driving them to those places. Thank goodness for MPB Think Radio. While you're waiting in the pickup and drop-off line with the Trazillion other parents, you have fresh air, Southern Remedy, Morning Edition, Everyday Tech, and a host of other MPB programs to keep you company. Go to mpbonline.org to find out what's on and when. You take care of the kids, we'll take care of you at MPB Think Radio. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Over the last week, the Trump administration has created a task force and submitted supplemental budget requests to Congress as measures to better manage the domestic uh, coronavirus threat. Representative Michael Guest of Mississippi's 3rd District serves on both the Committee of Homeland Security and the Foreign Affairs Committee. He tells our Michael Guidry the federal government must come together to protect the American people. We hope that we will be able to vote on the, the supplemental uh, appropriations this week. Uh, it's going to be in the range right now tentatively of 7 to $8 billion. Uh, that money is going, of course, to research and development uh, so that we can uh, develop a vaccine to the coronavirus. Uh, some of that funding will go for the purchase of medical equipment uh, to treat those uh, that uh, have already become 
um, uh, are, 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 have, have already uh, come down with the virus. And then there's going to be training for medical personnel and first responders. And so this appears to be an issue where there uh, is broad bipartisan support, members of the Democrat and Republican Party uh, coming together to uh, put the health of the community first. As of the time of, of our conversation, the number of confirmed cases in the United States has risen to over 100, um, the number of confirmed deaths, nine. Some health professionals are saying that the United States could potentially be on the brink of experiencing what other parts of the world are currently experiencing. And the CDC is reportedly understaffed and underfunded, hence the, the request for supplemental budget money. What assurances can you give the American people and Mississippians that the federal government is equipped to respond to this? You know, uh, what, what I'll tell you is that the, the administration uh, is taking the coronavirus very seriously, uh, that the president uh, has tasked uh, the vice president, the second highest elected official in our land, to oversee our response. Uh, he's going to be working uh, with medical experts, first responders, going to be working uh, with the State Department uh, as we are prepared to do uh, three things. Uh, the first thing is we hope to be able to prevent uh, the further spread of the coronavirus uh, throughout the continental United United States. Uh, we want to also contain those cases uh, that we currently have. Uh, and then we're working to develop a treatment. And so those are going to be the three things uh, that we are going to be uh, focusing on. Uh, we've seen the declaration of a public health emergency. Uh, so we And we see the CDC uh, working with the World Health Organization, working with many of our state um, uh, health uh, agencies. Uh, and so we are, I believe, uh, very aggressively working to, again, prevent and then uh, contain the, the spread of the coronavirus. So there will be a million additional testing kits uh, that will be dispensed throughout the country this week. And so, you know, as we see uh, additional people tested, we are likely to see uh, the number of uh, confirmed cases grow. Uh, but with this additional supplemental appropriations, uh, I believe that this will go a long way toward helping us to be able to combat the coronavirus in the United States. You mentioned what the administration's doing. Uh, the last week's been a, a very active and in some ways unusual uh, week when it comes to the response to this. What do you want to say about the rhetoric that's being tossed around in connection to this threat? You know, what, what what I would like to say is, again, this is an issue that affects every American. There's no one that is immune to the coronavirus. This this is not a problem uh, or an issue that was caused by the Democrats or the Republicans, but this is an issue that we all need to rally together. If there's going to be bipartisanship on any issue, this is the issue that should bring us all together. And so uh, as it relates to funding, we need to rely upon the experts uh, to tell Congress the amount of money that they need. Uh, to be able to combat this. As we're working toward finding uh, a vaccine to this and as we're working toward treating those who are ill with this, uh, we, we need to, to set aside that partisanship and we need to rally together as Americans. This, this is an issue, that, again, that affects every one of us uh, just as our nation rallies together when we go into time of war and uh, we are defending our country. You know, We need to rally together at this time. This needs to be a, another 9-11 moment where everyone comes together for the common good. You serve on two committees that are working in close conjunction with state officials, um, you know, throughout all 50 states uh, on dealing with this. Uh, that is the Committee for Homeland Security and the Foreign Affairs Committee. So uh, what is that relationship right now between what you guys are doing up there on Capitol Hill and how that is kind of matriculating down to the state level? 
You know, we, we had Acting uh, Secretary Wolf today testify on Homeland Security, and one of the things that he was talking about, you know, is uh, the Department of Homeland Security. They are going to be taxed uh, with screening uh, individuals who are coming into our country, whether that by, be by, by air, whether that be across land cro- crossings, or uh, they come across uh, and into uh, other ports of entry uh, on uh, on ships. You know, th- they are going to be the front line. They're going to be making sure uh, that we are properly screening individuals uh, that are enter- entering our country uh, because we don't want people to unintentionally enter the country uh, with the coronavirus and then uh, possibly infect large numbers of Americans b- b- before we're able to determine that an individual is ill. You know, uh, again, it also talks about us being able to secure our border, to be able to make sure uh, that people coming into the country are coming through ports of entry, because if they're coming in ports of entry, we have the ability to observe them. Uh, We have the ability to use medical personnel to test individuals uh, that that we believe show symptoms of the coronavirus. You know, we also talked about uh, the the, the role that telemedicine can play. You know, uh, UMC is a center of accident center of excellence uh, for telemedicine, and and what role can UMC uh, and and other centers of excellence play as we are looking um, to having to uh, examine larger numbers of people. So uh, I think that, you know, as it relates to Homeland Security, there is definitely a a great role that uh, Homeland Security plays uh, in keeping the homeland safe from uh, individuals uh, who would be entering the country inadvertently not knowing that they're ill, you know, uh, and then infecting others. And then foreign affairs, again, this this is a global incident. This is not something that affects just the United States. We often hear the United States and China uh, and how they are affected. But, you know, other countries uh, such as South Korea, uh, such as Italy, uh, we've got confirmed cases uh, really through, throughout uh, Europe. And so uh, this is something that, that we are, um, as a global community, that we're going to have to work together to, one, develop that vaccine and cure, and then be able to deliver that vaccine and cure not just to people in America, but people around the globe. Congressman Michael Guest, Republican serving Mississippi's 3rd Congressional District. Thank you so much, Congressman. Michael, thank you for having me. Coming up after a Southern Remedy Health Minute, a deadline day legislative roundup. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. A contractor ever tell you of the price of something and it sounds so high you think, eh, maybe I'll try it myself. Some jobs just aren't that difficult, and yes, you can do it. If you want to find out how to do those things, listen to Fix It 101, podcast everywhere. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, professor of pediatrics and internal medicine at the University of Mississippi Medical Center, and this is a Southern Remedy Health Minute. How long... Will tablets last if stored in a cool, dry place? And gels that are medications, and then liquids that are medication. If it is a a tablet, generally those are good for at least a year. Now, in practicality, probably more than that. You know, if you've got something that's a couple of years old and it's been in your pantry and it's, you know, in the dark and all that kind of stuff, a lot of these medications, though, even if they're in the light, that's why medication bottles, if you'll notice, are shaded. So they're opaque, at least from UV radiation, uh, just because that can break down a lot of medications if you leave them out. At least a year, but a lot of things are pretty stable over a couple of years, just to be honest. Now, the reason you have an expiration date on that is that you can pull it if you need to. 
do. Like if that's an automatic expiration and they needed to recall a medication, they could do it fairly easily because they would only have to go back a year. Now, gels, liquids, sometimes even capsules are a little bit different, and they can break down more quickly. Certainly anything that's liquid a year at the most is all the shelf life is. I don't advocate anybody using anything that's liquid over that expiration date. And in some instances, it's once you open it, and it's, it's just a lot more easy to contaminate that. You take things like nasal sprays, like Flonase. If it's just been sitting out, it's a couple of months old, it may lose its efficacy, and you may have some contamination of that. If the container looks like it's been uh, damaged, you know, the plastic looks a little old on it, and a lot of times it'll uh, lose that suppleness to the plastic, definitely throw that thing away and get something different. But that's just a general, you know, rule of thumb about medications. For more health tips and medical information, listen to Southern Remedy each weekday morning at 11 on MPB Think Radio. The 2020 legislative session is underway at the Mississippi State Capitol, and at issue is the place to be for gavel-to-gavel coverage. Lawmakers are expected to discuss a number of issues like criminal justice reform, teacher and state employee pay raises, and workforce development. Join me, Wilson Stribling, along with our political analysts, Brandon Jones and Austin Barber, as we bring you insight on these issues and how lawmakers are handling them. At issue, Friday nights at 7.30 on MPB TV. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Tuesday marked a deadline day for Mississippi lawmakers, the last day for filed bills to clear a committee in order to be considered for chamber debate and vote. MPB's Desiree Fraser was on hand at the Capitol as lawmakers saw their legislation receive committee approval. The Ban the Box bill, authored by Senate Democrat Tammy Witherspoon, would eliminate the convicted felon question on state employment applications. What I want my bill to do, um, as I stated earlier, when you first get a job application, first thing you see after your name, your social security number, your address, you see this box where it says, have you been convicted of a felony? And what my bill does is take that box away from applications. And that so the employee can look at their work history, their education, you know, all the good stuff that does matter when you apply for a job. And my bill does. After the employee, the person that's filling out the application, the applicant make the second round of applic of of the interviews. Just stopping is just stopping the stigma, is that I've been convicted. So the bill, and we all know that uh, those application, you know, probably most of them probably get thrown in the garbage can after they see that box check. So what my bill does, it it eliminates that box. And if the employee decides, hey, this is a good applicant, they need to make, I need to do a second interview with them. And then if they make that second interview, then that information can be exposed. How do you know they'll expose it then? Uh, well, they don't have to. You know, they, they it, it can be. You know, it, it, you know, if the employee say, well, you know I'm going to do a background check. Then, of course, you may want that information to come on out. But this bill no way stops the employees from doing a background check. Yeah, they are. They still can do a background background check. And if the employee states that, you know, I'm going to do a background check, and then the employee can expose that information. And this applies to what type of employer? Uh, 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 school districts are uh, exempt because we know they 
do background check. But state employees, um, hospitals, city employees, so it does apply to all the county employees, all those public employees. And someone asked in the committee, why not do private employers? Well, this is a start. You know, Mississippi, you know, we, we hadn't had a band of box, and we had 33 other states that did. So, you know, we have to start from somewhere. So this is a start with we'll had words. And then maybe on later on I can introduce a bill that will stay private. But we'll start from right here now. Why is this important to you? Oh, my God, this is so important because uh, I do have a loved one that's been incarcerated. And um, he um, had a master's degree and could not find a job, you know, and because of that box you know, that he was unable to find a job. And he has a master's degree and lots of experience. But because of that box, he was unable. So this is very close to me and very important to me. Has he been able to find employment since? Yes, he has. And as of right now, he completed his doctoral degree. Thank you so much for speaking with us. Yes, ma'am. Thank you all for having me. Thank you. Senator Tammy Witherspoon is a Democrat from Magnolia. Republican Senator Angela Hill of Brookhaven opposes Witherspoon's measure. Hill also saw her bill that strengthens the penalties for abusing domesticated dogs and cats pass committee. I've got some real heartburn with Ban the Box. Um, It talks about that violent crimes would not be included in that, but there's some other um, white-collar crimes and things like that that an employer... Um, might need to know before they hire somebody to handle their money. Tell us about the bill that you have been working on for years. For years and years, we've been trying to upgrade the penalties for those individuals who choose to torture dogs and cats in this state, domesticated dogs and cats. We have been asking for a first offense felony on those torturous crimes like burning, suffocating, scalding, impaling, all these heinous um, very descriptive crimes that happen to dogs and cats. And they're, they're not just happening. They're posted on social media. So we have been working for about seven years to try to get this, these torturous crimes a first offense felony and to allow law enforcement to charge more than one count per, in, per incident, incidence. And uh, today we got that bill through Judiciary B Committee. All the rescuers in this state, all the animal lovers in this state, Um, All the veterinarians who see these uh, torturous crimes being done to dogs and cats, Um, it's a great day for all the people that have been behind this bill. I think a few years ago there was not one media outlet that was not covering this bill um, from TV to newspaper. Um, It's something that the public outcry has been huge for, um, and I wouldn't quit on this. Moss Point Republican Representative Manley Barton's Workforce Education Bill also passed committee. It's called the Mississippi Workforce Incentive Act, uh, but, but really what it does is it focuses on skills training, uh, workforce development training at the community college level. And so it would add a number of programs, uh, if appropriated eventually, uh, it would add some programs at the community college level uh, to do uh, uh, career and technical training. There's some dual credit additional dual credit programs that include scholarship money to to do those kinds of things. Uh, There's some funding that would uh, uh, help uh, purchase equipment, uh, uh, CTE, career technical equipment, uh, for the community colleges to be able to offer those kind of training, upgrade their labs and those kinds of things. But it's really, at this point, it's really just a framework of initiatives that would all be part of a of an overall plan that the community colleges would like to develop. But here again, everything has money associated with it. 
So uh, at the end of the day, what we wanted to do is get the plan approved, and then it'll all be subject to future appropriations. The Senate Judiciary A Committee also passed a hate crimes bill that mirrors the federal law to include those with disabilities and lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender Mississippians. The bills have until March 13th to pass the House and Senate, respectively. Thanks for listening to the Mississippi Edition podcast from MPB News and MPB Think Radio. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already. And if your app lets you, leave a comment or review. We really do appreciate it. Remember, you can always get in touch with MPB News on Facebook and Twitter. And fresh episodes of the podcast are posted every weekday morning. I'm Karen Brown. Thanks for listening. This is Mississippi Edition from MPB Think Radio.